This is Tim, and I'm here with my beautiful wife, Marion. And it's uh, the night before Easter Resurrection Sunday for our second podcast. And what I wanted to ask you, Marion, is um, why do you have so many kids? <laughs> well, that is a really loaded question. And I get asked it constantly. So my recent answer at, when I was in graduate school a couple of years ago was because my husband's so hot. <laughs> but the real answer is... Oh, thank you. Well, yes. The real answer is a little bit more complicated than that. I started researching birth control in college and kind of decided that that wasn't really the option for me. I wasn't really interested in heart attacks, drugs, blood clots, whatever other things that could come along with it, even if those are extreme cases. And I was also concerned without knowing my family background, like if I could even have children and if using something like the pill would stunt me from having a family, which I already knew I wanted. Your family background? Um, Because I'm adopted. And I don't have a medical history um, at my fingertips. Obviously, my mother got pregnant with me, um, supposedly around age 15. But other than that, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, What have I not covered? Well, so um, you specifically wanted to have four, five, six plus children, or you were just vaguely like uncomfortable with the various chemical birth control or surgical birth control uh, methods, or what? So I did not, probably didn't think I would have nine kids. I definitely, the number six didn't haunt me, except for when I was counting how many labor deliveries that would be. I also knew nothing about labor and delivery, but I was probably should have been more concerned about those long pregnancies than the labor and delivery part. So what has been your, um, your thought in hindsight? You've had various steps along the way, so that could be multiple hindsights, I suppose, because you have your baby now, Petra number nine, and then, you know, you were thinking about things after each child was born, and, you know, what were you thinking? What were your parents saying? Well, we started with one, of course, like everyone, unless you're having twins or triplets, and our pregnancy was about three months into our marriage, we found out we were pregnant, and uh, my dad's response was, is this what you want? My mom's response is, oh no. And I had this weird feeling that I shouldn't be allowed to be pregnant that young, but it was sort of exciting Which at the same what, time. Which was what, 16? No, I was 20, 22. Mm-hmm. And we had our first child when I after I turned 23. But it felt like a teen pregnancy, the way that people treated me and the way that my family like sort of viewed it. Like I had not done a career yet. I hadn't gone to graduate school. I 
was working and Tim was still in school. You were still in school. And it was really kind of a confusing, when is it okay to have a kid? Because people would say things like, you're never going to have enough money. You're never going to think you have enough money to have a kid. Or maybe you haven't got everything lined up. Or children come at awkward times, in it, but it's worth it. So, I mean, it felt like there was a lot of conflicting advice. I mean, there was definitely people that said, you have to have everything. You have to have like $5,000 before you have a kid in savings, you know. It doesn't seem like that much nowadays. Seemed like a lot when our bank account was about $100 after we'd bought food and paid our bills and done a few things. What was your um, your thought process uh, just when you were talking with me and then you were thinking about my response? Because what I remember is I grew up being concerned about the environment and... Uh, you know, making sure that I wasn't telling a woman what to do and uh, supporting that. And then, um, you know, I think I was always a little disappointed. If I remember back, just having one sibling, just me and my sister, eight years apart. But I liked the idea of having a big family, uh, and it wasn't really something that I was, like, thinking about all the time. You know, I was... What was your idea of a big family? Like, two kids? Three kids? I don't know. Four to six. And... So, part of me, when you were talking about your point of view, was... Uh, you know, well, I can't tell you what to do. Yeah, that's not my place. It was kind of my thought process. So if you were to think back, would you be like, um, woman, get on the pill? Or, you know, are you thinking that that was kind of a scary choice to not be, not feel like you could tell me what to do? No. Um, you know, I think we've evolved into making decisions together. And there's been various conversations along the way. Um... But I think, you know, it's not just rooted in uh, your adoption story or your distrust and discomfort with, uh, you know, chemical or surgical intervention to prevent children or pregnancy, even temporarily, or my, you know, vague interest in having a big family feeling like I missed out perhaps a little bit having just one sibling I think it's also uh, grounded in our Christian faith as we uh, wrestled with the implications of that uh, potential lifestyle or family size choice in light of you know some of our other priorities that you know seem to conflict um, no, so. you're totally right. I mean, I remember being kind of like a new Christian because I became a Christian at 14 and thinking pastors are telling you to trust God with everything and to trust God with your finances and trust God with your life, you know, with your health. If you are struggling with a disease that could be life-threatening, like to trust, to put that in God's hands. And I remember thinking, well, 
you have two children. So are you trusting God with that? Like I was kind of judgmental about that because I really felt like there was also this Christian perspective that was like, you need to be responsible with the resources God gives you. So if God only gives you a job that pays you 40000 a year, then you can't have that many children because that's irresponsible with your financial financial situation. And that didn't sound like trusting God, in my opinion. So I don't think there's an easy answer. Like I don't, like I said, I've had my judgmental times where I felt like everyone should have a lot of kids. I've had my kind of like, I feel bad for other people. I don't feel like I should like expect them to have the same values as me. So I kind of feel like I have a mix mixture of um, emotions when it comes to just kind of like nailing something down as like, all I can say is that I, I do feel like some of this is a conviction from God to me. Like, Mm -hmm. Don't mess with your body chemistry. Have the babies I give you. It's a gift. Um, I have not always felt like thrilled about following that. Mm -hmm. I've definitely been pissed at God for being pregnant sometimes at, because I've actually like asked him um, to help me not get pregnant. And obviously we know there's like, one obvious way to not get pregnant. But I kind of was under this illusion that if if, you know, God wanted to give me children, he would also be willing to be like, okay, this is a season where you don't have to have a child because you're asking me not to have a child. And it hasn't really worked out that way. Definitely gotten a child, like, every few years. Sometimes every year. Yeah. So, that's interesting, thinking about uh, sort of a faith journey... And then, you know, thinking about people who, within the same faith, don't approve. And then, it's been kind of funny, actually. There's, we've met a lot of people who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, religious or, you know, particularly concerned about that kind of thing. And they're just kind of thrilled or positive or at least vaguely supportive because there's like, oh, yeah, that's cool that you do that. You know, kind of like the you're hanging out with people and they're like, what are you doing? And what's your work or what's your family or just sharing like characteristics of your uh, human existence. And, they, and their response to everything is that's cool. That's cool. It's been very interesting to see that experience that uh and then occasionally you know we have the the angry uh honk your horn scream at us out the car window situation or the biker jogger who mutters something under under the breath um and then there's just people who are just like you must be like mormon or catholic right you had to have this many children right yeah and i think that's been an interesting thing too to see like uh, you must not be enjoying this this must be some sort of obligatory behavior and so that's I guess that's an interesting too I mean how would you say like you experience 
being a mom, you have, you did go to graduate school, which you got your master's degree. Um, you're homeschooling. I mean, do you want a break? Do you want to go skiing or go to go on trips with girlfriends or, you know, things that you don't do really that much? Um, I think sometimes I fantasize about maybe going somewhere, but I'd rather go with you. But then when you have like nine kids, you can't really just leave because Mm -hmm. who's going to watch nine children because they think you're crazy for having them in the first place. Well, they, you know, it's kind of hard to, someone would have to come to our house. We can't like coordinate like nine sleepovers or whatever. (laughs) Like it's a lot easier if you have two, obviously. Um, so I think in my perfect world, I have a few hours to myself. I have an hour to exercise and I have an hour to write every day. And I think that would be like my main retreat. Um, cause then I could still be, I still want to be around my family. I don't want to just leave for like a month and disappear. Mm-hmm. I like the routine. I like seeing my kids every day. I, I would definitely miss everyone. When I was in graduate school, I'd go to residency for 10 days, and it was really weird. I couldn't sleep at night because our room was so, my room was, like, quiet, and I wasn't around kid noises, and it was really lonely. And so I would sort of just stay up and hang out with people if they were around, or, and then I just didn't get enough sleep. So in general... Like, I think I function better as a person with my whole family around me. But just like any person, I need some space occasionally. What would you say is the difference between you and some of these famous reality TV families like the Duggars or John and Kate Plus 8 or, I don't know, some of the others? Uh, With the Duggar situation... I wouldn't say I feel like I relate to her or him. Mm-hmm. I think culturally we're very different. Um, I don't, I know they homeschool, but I don't remember how much of a value like college education was. Mm-hmm. We barely watched the show. We watched maybe a couple episodes. Um, we like to eat uh, differently. We like to eat a lot of produce. I think like if the Duggars had a mini farm, I would relate to them more. If they did a lot of, like, baking things, making every single thing from scratch, those are things that I'm more interested in. Um, With John and Kate plus eight, we only watched a couple episodes of that. And maybe it was slightly more relatable because they were, one of them was Asian. And there was definitely, like, the potty training multiple kids at once. Like, we never had a bunch of kids at once, but we definitely potty trained two kids at a time Mm -hmm. and so we definitely had that whole like okay we need another potty or like the little potty's being used we're gonna put this smaller kid on the large potty uh but as far as like the moms being like real people i didn't really feel like i mean they were really just portrayed as moms in the couple episodes i saw like how do you function i remember john and kate plus eight like went and bought a cow with their kids that was the episode we watched. And, like, how that's practical for your family. Like, I can relate to that concept. Hmm. 
how would you say your understanding of uh, thriftiness, thriftiness, or stretching your dollar, or how you cook or grocery shop or plan has been transformed? Because I feel like I know how to find bulk or find deals way better than I did. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, I'm. So when we had our fourth child. We stopped going to the family practice doctor who delivered our last two kids, and we went to a midwife. And in one of my appointments, she said, hey, have you guys heard of Azure? Because now that you're going to have four kids, you know, bulk buying is going to be the way to go. Mm. You could at least bulk buy your rice. And if you want to mill flour or just buy large amounts of flour, you can buy 25-pound bags, and you can buy your laundry soap that way and your dish soap that way and like a huge bucket for the year and and I remember thinking like how are we going to come up with like a thousand dollars to do all this bulk buying Mm -hmm. you know but we still at that point we got really like decent tax refunds and we didn't have a ton of expenses so we would the for that year we bought these bulk things I think we bought a bucket of laundry soap Mm -hmm. and a bucket of dish soap and and 25 pounds of steel-cut oats and 25 pounds of rice and lentils. And we had these huge buckets that we put them in. And we tried that out. And at that point in time, like, that stuff lasted us like four, five months. We didn't have we had three mm-hmm. really small kids. And I noticed that we stopped creating trash because of that. We had our storage and then there wasn't anything to throw away. And then the stuff that we did have to discard was uh, recyclable. Cardboard or, um, you know, like hefty, like industrial kind of heavy paper or cardboard-like to hold some of that grain. Right, the big bags the grain comes in. It's like really thick paper. Right. And so, you know, we couldn't really afford to buy convenience food, which has a lot of packaging that's that you have to uh, either recycle or trash and so that was fascinating to me and i think we did get our budget and like we were i don't remember exactly what we we're spending at the grocery store but i remember like if they were out of oatmeal it would almost be double the price to go and buy the steel cut oats in like a little container mm-hmm. so now if we go to the, if we run out of oatmeal like from our big bag and when I try and go to the store to buy oatmeal, it's cheaper for us to buy a dozen eggs than to buy these little things of oatmeal to feed our family of, you know, well, nine kids, but they're not all eating. So eight of them are eating the oatmeal. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you went to a midwife. How does that connect to having a big family and why did you do that? Uh, I... Went to a midwife because I really didn't enjoy my birth process with my third child. We hit, we had a very small hospital in Port Townsend where we lived, and I really liked our birth with our second child because it pretty much felt like we had a midwife. The nurse, I think, had attended a bunch of births. I don't know if she was officially a midwife, but she behaved like one. And the way that she handled my labor was she listened to me. She believed me, even though my 
contractions didn't sound painful with the noises that I was making. And she was right. Like I had a baby within like four hours. She had me take a bath. She dulled the light. She did all kinds of things that you wouldn't associate with a hospital birth. And then we had our third child and we didn't have that nurse. We had a travel nurse and she was scary and I didn't like her. And I could not imagine trusting her with a birth. And I remember asking the doctor if we could have a different nurse because this one made me feel uncomfortable. And finally, like, there was a shift change and we had to induce because I had merconium. And so he put, like, the doctor made sure we had a different nurse that was really good with calming someone down. And we had a similar experience once we got that nurse. But that was, I don't know, 12 hours later. It was a while. So it was just the second and third. I mean, the first birth... We were uh, classified as hostile patients, we found out. And there was a, a episiotomy for a five-pound, four-ounce baby. Yeah, I think with the first birth, because of all those things, I was still afraid. Like, I didn't feel like I was empowered enough to have a baby myself without interventions or help. Oh, okay. And I think I needed to prove... So after I'd had this amazing birth with the second kid, and I knew my body worked perfectly fine without episiotomies and a bunch of nurses begging me to take drugs. Like I didn't have an epidural, but I definitely think they gave, they gave me some like pain numbing things and things that I didn't want with the first baby. So once I realized like contractions really weren't that bad, like they really weren't for me with our second birth. I remember our daughter was in my arms and I was like, was that it? Because the first birth had been so crazy and every contraction was on Pitocin and it hurt so bad that when I had normal, natural contractions, I realized that there were only like two or three of those that felt kind of anywhere close to the Pitocin contraction. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, clearly you have opinions and you have a lot of experience, a lot more experience than a lot of people with birth, both... Uh, Two different hospitals uh, with midwives, more than one midwife. And uh, I mean, what would you say to people who, especially uh, the, uh, women who are thinking about having a big, big family but are concerned about, uh, you know, the difficulty or the expense or people who are, you know, have probably a lot of questions about your experience who aren't necessarily interested in having a big family and who, you know, wonder, um, you know, why, why should anyone, uh, listen to your voice? Okay. So I'm thinking I didn't even have a mother who could tell me her birth experience. And then I got like, like when I was pregnant with Joel, your mom and grandmother told me their birth experiences. Joel's our firstborn. Joel's our firstborn. But I really didn't have a lot of education. And I remember like the doctor gives you, like our doctor gave us a book about pregnancy. And I don't remember reading a whole lot of it. Like I would definitely look it up if I felt like I had a weird symptom, like. I have weird side, side cramping. Is this normal? And it's like round ligament pain. But I didn't feel like there was a lot of support to... 
I didn't know what was happening with my body and I didn't feel like a doctor could really teach that to me. And we took the pregnancy and birth class and I still didn't really feel like there was enough support, but I didn't know any different then. So when we went to a midwife, I, she was like, do you want to take our birth class? I was like, no, I've already done that. And so we didn't end up taking her birth class, but I learned so much more from my appointments because for one, like if you see an OB, my appointment was maybe 10 to 15 minutes long with a midwife. They usually pencil in about an hour for you. And so you can spend that whole hour talking about your fears for birth, talking about what you're like trying to learn, talking about weird symptoms. They're available um, directly through text messages or calls. And so you have way more access to a person. And maybe, you know, I felt like I learned through all my births that I have a really hard time trusting who's going to be at my birth. So the idea that I have a doctor, but really you have to trust the nurse who happens to be on call, that was a huge issue for me. And it has taken me like up to two births per midwife to actually trust that midwife with the birth. Um, and that's important for anyone who might want to start a family and give birth. Uh, I mean, that's stuff that we kind of like learned along the way. And I suppose you could research some of that, but it was really kind of eye opening to realize uh the way the hospital system works, even with the, the nicest uh, attendants, physicians, nurses, whoever, uh, there's hospital policy, There, you get put on a clock, you're attached to machines, versus, you know, kind of the, the home birth, water birth, midwife experience like you described. But you were also concerned about, uh, was it safe? And what if something goes wrong? What if something happens? Right, so in my experience, like, I think that having to go to the hospital and have an IV put in just because you're in labor in case something goes wrong created enough anxiety in me to slow down a labor because mm -hmm. I don't like needles and I don't want an IV and I don't want something in my arm that's bothering me while I'm already awkwardly in labor and feeling like crap. Mm -hmm. I don't want scratchy Velcro around my stomach and beeping noises. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing to think about is with our first child, we had all these interventions. And what I wasn't thinking about then is we probably were a few seconds away from a C-section because they'd done everything else. So if he hadn't come out as easily and quickly, uh, I think they would have just been like, okay, surgery, emergency C-section. And I don't, having had a similar situation, like in our situation with him, my waters broke. I insisted on waiting 24 hours because that is legally allowed. They will try and push you before 12, but I, I had read the hospital policy before we went in there. And so my contractions did not start within those 24 hours. Mm. And if you talk to a midwife, they'll say, well, often it could take longer than that. It can take a couple days, but you usually have the baby within three days. We had this exact scenario with our seventh child and I waited those three days and it was horrible because in and out of labor and my waters were broken and the midwife came a couple of times, like a couple of days throughout there 
to check and make sure the heart rate was fine and I wasn't going to need a hospital transfer. And that, that birth was hard, but that baby was early. And so was our first baby was like 36 and a half weeks. She thought, Mm -hmm. yeah, we don't know for sure, but that's pretty much what we think. So would you say that circling back around to, you know, having nine children now, uh, would you say like, People should just kind of go for that. That would be like an ideal way to live your life. Or uh, you're like, well, you know, maybe take a step back. Or how would you say that? Because, I mean, I feel really blessed when I think about our family and our kids. And I'm excited for each one of them. And it's so interesting how different each one of them is. But also just like amazing how they're all like my family. Mm-hmm. which has uh, been very powerful. Um, I think it's taken me until, like, Petra to feel completely like, this is fine. I'm allowed to have children. I'm old enough to have children. I'm secure enough in who I am to have children. These are all the questions women ask themselves. Like, am I ready? Am I going to be a good parent? Um, men too, probably, but I'm not a man, so I can't speak to that. Uh, and then there's the whole financial thing, like how are we going to pay for all these kids? Mm. Because that is daunting. And it was daunting with the first, it was daunting with the second, it was daunting with every kid that we've had. And I still honestly don't know. It sort of just always works out. It's like you've created room to... Be more creative with your finances or I, I definitely think there's definitely been a couple kids where like, okay, this is the stage where we've cut everything out but food and that's all we can have. Well, we've lived in Washington, which is about as close to a Canada universal healthcare type situation you can get in, uh, you know, the 50 states. Right. So there is really decent access to food stamps and um, medical care and WIC. I mean, WIC, you're allowed to go to the farmer's market and get $20 of produce in the summer. Uh, Now they've added all kinds of stuff to WIC. So we were on WIC till baby five. And then you started making more money. And we were on food stamps till about that point too. And when we got kicked off of food stamps, it was actually harder because... We were up to the point where we had enough kids. We qualified for about almost $1,000 in food stamps, which was about all we really needed because we had our Azure bulk order and then we bought our food on the side that we needed like meat, milk, you know, dairy, a few things here and there. And that basically covered our bill. And then all of a sudden we had maybe about half that in our own cash mm-hmm. when we got, we had made too much money for food stamps. Mm-hmm. And so I think it took us about four years income-wise to recover. I mean, maybe more than that. Right. That sort of dependency gap or I don't know what they call it. It's like a, like a, like a penalty or something. And there's definitely a lot of guilt that's associated with like, well, you had all these kids and you're on food stamps. There's definitely that feeling of like, you don't deserve to have kids if you can't pay for their food. Right. Yeah. And now now I kind of think, well, we might be able to save Social Security because uh, all our kids are going to be paying in and uh, taking care of the 
the graying of America. Uh, but that's At another conversation. Least, they'll be around. <laughs> they'll be around to help make sure that we don't, you know, eat up society or something. Because there'll be so many of them. Like if I end up in a nursing home, it'll take. They'll have nine of them to split the bill. So. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about the the business school concept, other people's money or OPM, and uh, there's also uh, other people's children or OPC. Uh, you know, for uh, when you need someone to mow your lawn or bag your groceries or take care of you in end of life situations or um, assisted living situations. And I feel like we can't do this podcast without talking about overpopulation because. (laughs) Are you overpopulation? That is definitely a concern (laughs) that people have when they look at us. I mean, when we lived in Port Townsend, definitely, because people are very concerned about overpopulation. Um, here, slightly less, but I think it still comes up. I mean, our kids are in dance class, and the girl on the bar next to our son is like, um, I'm not going to have any children because of over- overpopulation. So, Yeah, I mean, I, that's obviously a very a hot-button issue. And... and global warming. I mean, we're definitely, like, cooking up the planet with so many bodies and all the stuff we need to use to have that many people in our home. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, at the end of the day, the the way that we're going to solve these really big issues is with, uh, um, you know, the, the greatest asset that we have, um, which is, uh, you know, human ingenuity and, and invention, uh, human minds, you know, working on these problems. Um, you know, and I think the, when we look at uh, Amartya Sen's work in um, analyzing the economics of poverty, you know, we see that when there's great famine and lack uh, throughout, uh, especially, you know, the last couple of centuries, we see like in Ethiopia, we see war and authoritarianism taking. Uh, So there's a distribution problem. And then we also have the same in India, uh, Greater India, British India, with uh, the Great Famine, when uh, the British took everything that they had, or almost everything, uh, all their grain and so forth. Um, So I think we've noticed that there's been kind of an underlying distribution or sharing issue uh, behind some of that, but also the, um, the problem of of uh, poverty isn't alleviated by eliminating people, um, especially you know when we look at inequality and um, you know kind of the massive increase in wealth for the one percent or the point one percent or the point zero one percent. You know, to hear people from that group say, "Well, there's just too many people," uh, you know, I think. I've kind of changed my approach on how I think about that. Um, but those are big, big questions, certainly. And then if you think about how um, in America people are using their resources, I remember somebody had written an article and it was basically saying how large families were using resources unwisely and they needed so many things, right? They needed a bigger car. They needed... Um, 
I don't know, just the groceries and the trash and the water usage. And they'd done this analysis of water usage in our old neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We had six kids at the time, and they gave us the water analysis for every house in our neighborhood. And we were using less water than most of the people in our neighborhood that were families of two to four people. Yeah, that was crazy. And so it was like the people who have to be thrifty and learn how to share and learn how to uh, conserve um, in a big family were actually uh, using less resources, which is just kind of, kind of counterintuitive. Very interesting. But I think about, you know, our kids and kids from other big families around the world, perhaps the skills that and talents and kind of ways of thinking and sharing and working and cooperation that they have to do uh, because, uh, you know, sharing resources and sometimes, you know, maybe not quite enough to go around in a big family. Those people as adults leading institutions or, uh, you know, speaking up for opinions or maybe even being, you know, politicians or scientists or whatever, advocating for public policy, uh, you know, I'd rather have a person from that kind of a background than, um, you know, uh, like a little emperor like I was, you know, who isn't just aware of anyone else's needs because that's just not something that you, it's not your lived experience as an only child uh, for, you know, the bulk of my childhood. Right, and even me, I was one of two kids too, and we were closer in age, but I had my own room, my own phone line. I got to do basically whatever activity I wanted to do. Hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely going to be continue to be disagreement on those things, but, you know, um, our fairly uh, progressive politics... You know, have have been um, really strengthened, and I think we've begun to think differently about how to implement some of these things that we value. It's definitely pretty short-sighted to be like, those big families are one of the problems, because it isn't necessarily true. Right, yeah. And... Um, Just to, I think, to circle back, you know, to why do we have a big family? I think we were excited for uh, love to grow. I think that is really just a very simple, simple thing, you know, that I've kind of rested in. And I know, I remember I was having a conversation with my, my uncle driving to Arizona for a a memorial service for my uh, great-grandmother. And he, he said, well, all of your kids are good people. So I'm thankful for that. <laughs> all right. As long as we can raise nine good people, maybe that'll be okay. <laughs> maybe people <laughs> forgive us for overpopulating the planet. <laughs> Till next time.